Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and today we've got a very special episode. Why? Because if you're interested in growing your wealth and growing it faster, the question is, how do you do it? Well, there's an incredible tool out there that many people don't even know about, but the IRS actually allows you to defer your taxes and grow your wealth faster. It's called a 1031 exchange. And the whole point of a 1031 exchange is really to move your investment money forward to invest in more property. So why wouldn't you want to be able to grow your portfolio faster? So with me today is a special guest. His name is Dave Foster. And Dave has been using 1031 exchanges as the cornerstone of his own personal real estate portfolio for the last 20 plus years. So he decided to get into real estate investing right after his first son was born. And today he specializes in helping others take advantage of using a tax deferred exchange to grow their wealth faster. So with that, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marco. It's great to be here today. Well, I'm glad to have you on because this is something that a lot of people don't understand because they see the label 1031 exchange and they're wondering, oh, what is that? I mean, a lot of people are just clueless to even what that means. Boring. It's it's totally boring. It's an IRS tax code, right? It's just section 1031 of the the tax code. That's exactly right. So rather than talk about, you know, the dry stuff, let's talk about what is it and how can we use it to help benefit me and you and all our listeners when it comes to growing their wealth and growing it faster. Sure. Well, you know, the funny thing about boring is boring's not fun until it stings you. And that's actually how I got into the whole industry of 1031 was about 25 years ago, back even before we called them fix and flips. I bought a duplex in Denver and did a renovation and sold it. And I was all fat and sassy going to my accountant that year. And he presented me with a not so lovely tax bill. And I just hit the roof. I was like, how in the world could I have worked this hard to make this little? And it was just absolutely crazy. And right at that moment in time, this was 1996, there had been a major change in the IRS statutes that made this thing called the 1031 user-friendly. And so my accountant, like all accountants do, said, well, I'm really sorry you got to pay all the tax. But I had some friends who said, Dave, we're starting a business and that business is going to help people use this tool so that you won't have to pay tax on that gain next time. I said, count me in. I'm an accountant. I get it. Let's do it. So 20 plus years ago, we started working with that for clients as well as for myself. And it has just been awesome. You can read the story about what I've done, but in a gist of it though, the 1031 exchange, Marco, does exactly what you said. It lets you take those tax dollars that you normally would have paid and you get to use them for yourself to go buy new investment property. So in one sense, it's just like a big exercise in compound interest. Instead of paying the taxes, take the taxes and buy real estate. Profit from that real estate, then take the taxes plus the deferred taxes and go buy new real estate and just keep that thing rolling forward as long as you live. It's an awesome strategy. So in its most basic form, the 1031 exchange is what? I mean, it's it's a tax section, right? But w- w- how, would you, how would you define a 1031 exchange? Yeah, someone section says, 1031 exchange, it comes from the code name 1031, of course. It is really just when you sell a property that either has a lot of appreciation or that has been depreciated heavily, so that either way, there's going to be a big gain and a big tax hit. When you sell that property, 
You follow a specific process and simply go and buy new investment property. And by doing the process in the middle, you don't have to pay tax on that gain. It all gets rolled over. And as long as you never sell that property, you will never pay the tax. As long as any time you sell that property, you do another 1031 exchange, you will never pay the tax. If you happen to die owning that property, I don't recommend it, but it's 100% certain. So if it happens and you die owning that real estate, you're going to get that at what is called a step-up in basis. So the tax all the way through the years actually goes away and they inherited tax-free. That's how powerful it is. So but it's really just sell and buy. I don't want that to go past people too quickly right now because what you said, we could end the show right now because what you said yeah. is so powerful. It is literally everything. What you essentially said in, in other words is that done right, you can defer capital gains taxes on your real estate portfolio indefinitely, never pay tax on it, and then pass your real estate holdings, your portfolio, onto your kids or your heirs, and so on and so on, and done right forever, or as long as, you know, as long as they don't change the tax code, you can defer taxes indefinitely. That's exactly right. Now, one of the nice things is that this has been part of the code since 1920. So we're not too worried it's going to go away. It's been around for a while. But the two different levels that you can think about this, I get the calls every week saying, well, Dave, why should I do a 1031 exchange? It only defers the tax. I'm going to have to pay it someday. And I simply asked them when the last time was that anybody gave them that argument for not investing in an IRA or a 401k. It's all tax deferred. You're going to have to pay the tax anyways. So why worry about it? Well, the answer is because for that period of years, you get the interest. So even if you have to pay the tax back, you're still going to make all the money off all the interest from that deferred tax while you add it. But then secondly, it goes even deeper to what you just said. And that is that done correctly, you can die and pass the wealth to your heirs absolutely tax-free. I have my first third generation client that we're working with right now. Granddad died and passed his estate tax-free to his son, who then started re-continuing to invest. And dad just passed away about three years ago. His children got it tax-free free. And now they're doing 1031s with us to, again, continue that deferral. And that can go generation upon generation. What a great legacy. So we're talking about two major benefits. One is the deferral of taxes on the capital gains from the properties under a sale, of course. But the other thing too is you mentioned this before, and again, I, I don't want it to be glossed over, is the fact that you can take that equity, take those gains in your property or properties and leverage it, like put it to work and build your portfolio larger. So you increase your cash flow and you increase the wealth creation that you have because now you are building a portfolio and adding additional property to it. That's huge because that is, I want to say compounding on steroids, but all, That's exactly right. But, but really, I mean, if you think about it, if you kind of pencil it out and just step back and think about it, you can take the equity from one property and leverage that into two or three in three, five years from now, maybe a little longer, a little less, depending on where you are. You can take that equity yet again and leverage it up into a larger portfolio. So it's almost like a mushroom effect. It's, yeah, that's exactly right. Or that little snowball that starts rolling downhill. Yeah. 
and becomes a big snowball by the end. What's also very, very powerful with this is that one of the great concerns that investors have is what happens at the end of my active period of investing? I'm going to slow down sooner or later. Well, that's when the 1031 can be used to start to position your portfolio. You may be an active investor and you love having your four or five properties that you manage, but sooner or later, maybe time to take a cruise to Alaska or start to slow down. And when that happens, you can do exactly what you said, Marco. Start to diversify and sell those properties, but use it to buy properties that are not going to be management intensive, that will manage will be managed for you, maybe that are in better areas for cash flow, if that's what you're looking for, maybe better positioned in areas that would be candidates for appreciation, maybe in those little hidden areas where nobody knows about yet. But you put your real estate in there, and now it is out of sight, out of mind, out of your hair, except for that monthly check that comes by electronic transfer. And that's when you can then sit back, well, for lack of a better word, wait to die, because it's cash flow till you're gone. And then the tax is gone as well. So you, that's brilliant, Dave. I appreciate you saying that because really that starts to get into the, the why and the when question. And that's my next question is, and this may be different for everybody that I ask, but when do you think, in your opinion, is the right time to be doing a 1031? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you your opinion, then I'm going to maybe put some color on it because I have my own perspective. And that's a great question. You're right. It's different for every person because it's dependent where they are in their investing career, juxtaposed with where we are in the market. We can never time a market, but we have to recognize that all markets look exactly the same. It's just whether the circle is small or big. So given those two parameters though, I typically see investors starting in a market early, investing for appreciation, because that's generally the biggest bang for your buck. The market is low, remember 2009, 2010? After the dark days, you could pick up properties for a song. And two years later, they were worth two and three times what you paid for them. So appreciation was the quickest way to make that. Well, you're from California. You know what's happened now. Amazing appreciation, but appreciation that has started to stagnate. And when I ask my California investors, what are your returns like as NOI on your rentals? They just start gagging because they're not making any money. So that's then the perfect time because you've harnessed all of the appreciation equity build to sell those properties that are highly appreciated but poorly performing and transfer those into a market where maybe the appreciation potential isn't so great, but the cash flow is. Or maybe it's someplace that is just not coming on people's radar screen. Oklahoma was in, I was on a forum the other day and someone out of the blue mentioned Oklahoma and within hours it was blowing up with people saying, I hadn't even thought of Oklahoma. I don't know. Most people don't, but you just never know where these places are going to be. And that's where you can position them in. So anybody who is active, like I think you guys are in like a ton of markets um, across the country, you're seeing these things in real time. And you can help those investors get out of appreciation heavy and into cash flow. And that's probably the single best time to do a 1031 or to do it in reverse. Yeah, great answer. And your answer was heavily focused on the idea of increasing your your net operating income and your rate of return, the cash flow. And I agree with 100 everything you said 100%. The other thing I would add to that, um it's not or and or it's really just and, uh, is this. A lot of people are sitting on a bunch of equity. And I kind of jokingly say that Californians, people from New York, New Jersey, certain markets like Denver, Colorado, uh, maybe some people in Austin, Texas, but definitely the coastal markets, people who own one or more properties are what I call equity rich, cash flow poor. 
right? And so if you, if this is you listening to this and you are sitting on a whole bunch of equity, what I like to say is that equity is either dead, dormant, or idle. You pick. But if you have dead, dormant, or idle equity, your return on that equity is zero. Until you take that equity and put it to work in a asset or, or another larger portfolio or something that's generating cash flow, you're not getting a return on the equity. You're getting a return on the property that the equity is, is, is trapped in. But if you can take that equity out, move it, not lose it, but move it and turn it into income producing assets. Now, all of a sudden you've increased your cash flow, probably increased your cash on cash return or your rate of return based on the equity that you've now liquid liquidated, liquidated, (laughs) can't even talk today, but you can increase the size of your portfolio. And while doing all this, you can also minimize your downside risk because if you're in a highly appreciated market, call it uh, an overpriced market, maybe a bubble market, you can get out of harm's way and you can position yourself in a better market that's either stable where you can sleep well at night, or maybe it's at closer to the bottom of a market cycle where you can now ride another wave of, of, of appreciation. It's, it's always appreciation potential, but appreciation in a new market and get out of a market that has had a, a very strong long run. So I know that was a long-winded addition to what you said, Dave, but I also look at it from the people who are equity rich and cash flow poor. Well, and I love that too. That, I mean, that was a great Great segue in this because equity also represents one other thing in people's minds and in reality. Equities represents market risk. So the more equity I have in a property, the less risk I have. Now, and that's not a bad thing or a good thing in and of itself. If I'm 75, I probably want a little more equity than less. But if I'm just starting out, if I'm aggressively trying to grow my portfolio, equity is the last thing I want because I can make up for that risk in a number of different ways. And the quicker that I move to increase my portfolio, then what happens? The quicker equity starts to build on those properties and that starts to take me out of harm's way. So you've got to time that that position to move from equity into cash flow and do it quick and swiftly and get those new properties working for you. You're exactly right. And here's a twist on that um, that's going to add to a very long answer. We've already kicked a dead horse here. But I call it defensive investing. And it is where you've got all of that equity and you're going to turn that into a number of smaller assets. The reason for that is that typically the smaller the asset, the greater the return on investment. It's easy to rent maybe a $100,000 house for a thousand bucks, but you're not going to rent a $200,000 house for $2,000. You're only going to get $1,400 for it or whatever. So you're trying to go from a larger asset that's giving you a poor return into numbers of smaller assets that will give you a greater return. But when you use the 1031 exchange, there's this incredible flexibility that it gives you because you can take your proceeds and allocate them towards your purchases in any way that you want. Now, if you want to defer all tax, you've got to do two things. First, you have to purchase at least as much as you sell. You can purchase more. That means more leverage. That's awesome. But you've got to at least purchase as much as you sell. Secondly, you have to use all the proceeds from the sale but you don't have to allocate them in any particular order. So let's say someone was selling a California house for 500,000, they had no debt on it. That's not that uncommon. They could go and they could buy a couple houses for cash. What they just did was they just took $200,000 of risk off the table. Those assets are theirs. Nobody's gonna take them or touch them. All they need to do in a downturn, ratchet down the rent if needed and take the remaining proceeds and use those as down payments on a large number of other properties. So you get both 
the safety of cash-owned assets, but the arbitrage and the pop that comes from a higher leverage. And that's just another twist that can happen to unlock that equity we're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what I want to see more people do, take advantage of, because it's such a great opportunity and you're further ahead in so many different ways. And I really don't see any downside to it. I mean, I, I don't see a negative. I don't know if you do, but I don't. You know, the only time any of my investors, so I've been doing the QI work since 1999, the only investors of mine that lost any money in the worst crash, real estate crash in American history, basically, lost it because they were over leveraged. Every one of those investors that had the leverage to keep the cash flow coming looked at their paper net worth and said, gosh, I'm really poor right now. But they did not care because <laughs> cash was still coming in. And five, 10 years later, they're all smirking again because that's all recovered. It's the idea of being able to hold on for the long term. Exactly. And that's why I put so much importance on cash flow, you know, the positive cash flow. It's the glue that holds your deal together. So, Regardless of what the market is doing, you can weather through it because you've got the sustainability of keeping and maintaining that portfolio in good times and bad. But over the long term, your equity will grow, your net worth will grow, your wealth will grow. Meanwhile, your cash flow will also grow because now you've got a, a large portfolio with equity, the cash flow to go along with it, and you can take that equity and grow your portfolio even larger. So this is why cash flow is, is so important. It's, it's, you'll make more money through the equity growth, through appreciation over time, sure. but you need the cash flow to get you from where you are today to that end goal, that destination that you're getting to with your, your real estate portfolio. I like to say the cash flow is the sustainability factor. It is. That's what's going to let you move in the long term. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it totally is. So real quick, what, what doesn't, does not qualify for a 1031 exchange? I mean, we're talking, everything we've talked about, even though we're not using the word 1031 exchange all that much, at the end of the day, certain things do qualify and don't. So just give us a quick breakdown of what does and doesn't right. qualify. Well, there's, there's two, by the way, I'm going to give us a segue into our next podcast. So there's two sections of the tax code that deal with real estate. The first one is section 121, and that deals with your primary residence. That lets you sell property you live in tax-free. And there is a connection between 1031 and 121. And we'll just leave that as the cliffhanger teaser. I'll be back. We'll talk about primary residence and how you can make 1031s work with that. But the other part of the tax code is 1031. And in essence, at its broadest, it deals with every other kind of real estate. Any kind of real estate, not your primary residence, but that you have owned for productive use, an investment could be a restaurant that you run your pizza place out of. It could be a multifamily complex, a commercial building. Well, interestingly enough, oil and mineral gas rights are real estate. Put that in the hopper and think about that. Any kind of real estate that you own for investment, you can do a 1031 exchange with and buy any other kind of real estate that you're also going to use for investment. So like one of the things I was going to ask you, Marcos, what are you guys seeing out there that are the hottest sectors of real estate right now. What's the hottest? What do you think? Well, definitely single family homes because demand is so strong and inventory is, is pretty thin. And so sure. there has been for many years and continues to be strong demand for single family rentals. Yep. I would say definitely. And there's actually a move back into that now because for a while you heard the song and dance of multifamily. Everybody wanted multifamily. Well, when everybody wants something, what happens to the price? And all of a sudden, the returns that you and I are looking for start to look more attractive with single-family homes. 
So that's what the 1031 exchange lets you do. Sell multifamily because everybody wants it. Go into and purchase single family rentals. Sell commercial if that's a problem uh, because of the Amazon effect that you're scared of and go buy industrial or agricultural land. You can mix and match, but as long as it's real estate that's used for investment, it qualifies for 1031. And if you happen to be sitting on some mineral and gas rights in Ohio or in Texas, you can sell those and go buy yourself a bunch of single family rentals and not pay tax. Nice. So what are the requirements for an exchange? I believe there's six, right? Six requirements. It's got to be investment property. There's a couple critical timing. This is a very rigid statute because you have to remember that back in the day, 25 years ago, the IRS lost a lawsuit that did not make them happy. So they have to let you do a 1031, but they don't have to make it easy. So it's got to be investment real estate. From the day that you close your sale, you're on some tight timelines. You've got to be shopping quick because you've got 45 days to identify your potential replacements and only 180 days to complete the entire process. So it's really critical that you be focused right from the beginning, if not on a particular area with good professionals who are going to help you focus in on an area real quick. Thirdly, you've got to use a what's called a qualified intermediary. These people are going to be an independent, unrelated third party whose only job is to document the exchange and process the the, uh, transfer of the funds from the sale to the purchase. If you sell your property without a 10th QI in place before the closing, you cannot do a 1031. That's the critical factor. And of course, a good QI is going to coach you through the rest of these requirements. Whoever owns the property, the old property, has to be the owner of the new property. And then lastly, you need to, if you, we talked about this earlier, but if you want to defer all tax, you've got to purchase at least as much as you sell, and you've got to use all the proceeds in the purchase. You can take money out but if you do, the IRS is always going to say that you're taking profit. So they're going to make you pay tax, which though, actually, that does segue into another nice strategy um, for your folks. And that is that if you need cash out or if you can only find you're selling a property, you can only find two or three and you really wanted a couple more, then complete your 1031 exchange. Use that defensive investing idea. Buy one or two of those properties for cash. And then as soon as your 1031 is complete, when you find your next attractive purchase, simply do a refinance of one of the cash-owned properties. So you'll have equity that's trapped, but it's equity that's available to you. And by doing it after the exchange, you don't have to pay tax on what you pull out. Got it. We've had a number of people come to us at the 11th hour on a 1031. For whatever reason, things have fallen apart or they just drag their feet. And now they have to identify properties and they've got literally, in some cases, there were days left. So they're coming to us scrambling saying, hey, you know, I've got three days to identify and put under contract properties for my 1031, or I'm losing my tax benefits. I'll have to pay tax on all the proceeds. And in every single case, and this has happened more than once, we've been able to help them. In other words, bail them out of, of, you know, of a tax situation. I think there was only one case where it was a partial uh, tax payment, uh, but for the most part, the rest of it went through fine. My point is, and my suggestion is that people should get on top of this early, like before they close on the property that they're selling to move the proceeds into some other property or, or other set of properties. It doesn't hurt to talk to us 30 days early because we can start having conversations about the markets to be in and start looking at properties and evaluating what's available and out there because maybe we can even put it on the side and put it 
uh, you know, earmark it for you and just reserve it. But the point is, is don't wait until the last minute. Start early. Oh, yeah. Well, that's at the very worst case, by doing that, that client is going to become educated. So they're going to know once their property closes a good deal when they see it. So they're going to eliminate a lot of that. But it is absolutely fine to go under contract for your new property before your old property closes. You just have to close the sale of your old property before you close the purchase of your new property. So working early, and we're absolutely you want to get that done. And there's actually another benefit that folks like you, people don't think about this as much, but the idea of being able to evaluate multiple markets simultaneously to see what's going to be the best fit for them. That could take you months or years doing it by yourself. But if they can, if someone who's in multiple markets already can give them that lowdown instantly. And what I've seen is that real estate investment real estate really tends to be a commodity. It's like pork bellies and orange juice and apples. They all look the same. They just have different addresses. So you may be shopping right now and you may find a property you want, but you're not ready. Well, if it's in the market you want and it's the property type you want, I'll bet you, Marco, that you can probably find that exact property for them 60 days later it's just going to have a different address, but it's going to have the same performance, the same characteristics, and it's going to be right where they need it. Yeah, I agree. Dave, how often are there issues with timelines? Because I know there's different rules in place for a 1031 exchange. You have to identify within 45 days. You have to close within 180 days and not one hour more. So, you know, there's these kind of three timeline rules, if you will, but uh, how often are there issues with these timelines? Much less than you would think, really, because people are starting to get the idea that they can get out there and be very proactive and aggressive. But I actually, we, we, we get that question all the time and we still see it. So I did an anecdotal study of our last year's exchanges. And what I found was that less than 10% of our exchanges that fell apart because of a timeline issue. So less than 10% actually blew up because of any sort of a timing issue. That means that 90% of the time, you're generally able to find the properties that you need. Okay, so then what's the most common or the biggest 1031 issue? The biggest, well, it's still the timing because it's a 45-day list. The 45-day list is so critical and it's so fixed and finite that we actually have to tell people that our corporate servers are on Mountain Standard Time. So if they're emailing in a doc list, they need to understand if you're in Cali, it's an hour later. Don't send me a time-stamped email at 12 o'clock California because it's too late. And <laughs> right. You got to be careful with that. What I counsel people, though, is that if you cannot find good properties, don't make a bad deal just to satisfy the exchange. The exchange is a nice way to give you a boost. But if you can't, at the end of day 45, simply don't turn in a 45-day list and your exchange will die. You get your proceeds back. They're taxable, but there's no penalties for doing it that way. And I think that's probably better than feeling pressured to go into a bad deal. But if you can go into it relaxed, knowing that you've got a back door, you're not going to get hurt by trying this, and then you just be as aggressive as you can. Like I say, over 90% of the time, they made it work. That still is the biggest pitfall for the 1031. The other one is that people won't cash out. They've got cash needs for something somewhere. And that's where we go back and we talk about the idea of do the 1031 either fully and then refinance or do a partial 1031. Take a little bit of money out, pay a little bit of tax, but leave the bulk of the profit in there so that you're still getting some good leverage. Got it. So based on what you said, it's possible to terminate an exchange if, if you wanted to or needed to, right? I don't know why you would need to, but 
I assume it's possible. Yeah, exactly. Your exchange, the way that it's structured, will always be complete before you have to file your next tax filing. So if it falls apart, you can't do anything about it. It just doesn't get reported on your tax return. So it's like it never happened. Okay. That's the only issue. Right. Okay. Got it. Trying to think. Okay. So someone who is in a position or needs to, or wants to do a 1031 exchange, what would be the, uh, you know, the expense of doing it? What, how does that work in terms of, of the cost, if you will, of doing a 1031? They are surprisingly inexpensive compared to the amount of gain. It's not like a realtor commission kind of thing or, or any sort of a huge fee. Nationwide, you're going to find a range of for full service accommodators, not the internet fill out a form kind of thing, of around $750 to $1,200 for a complete exchange. They're a little higher on each coast if you choose someone there. They're going to be a little bit higher if you use an attorney or an accountant who's just doing a few a year. So your lowest cost providers are typically going to be the heartland QIs that that's all they do. They're doing thousands a year. And so they've got some economies of scale. But it's 750 800 bucks. that's a bargain for the kind of tax. Well, that's, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's really nothing because you're not only deferring your taxes uh, and, and done right indefinitely, but at the same time, it allows you to take that equity and compound it, reinvest it and grow your wealth, grow your portfolio, increase your cash flow, increase your rates of return, uh, get out of harm's way in expensive, overpriced or inflated markets. It, I mean, it has all the benefits and upside potential of putting your your uh, your portfolio's growth on steroids for a minimal cost, basically what you would pay for insurance, property insurance. And in one fell swoop, the world now knows who to blame for me raising prices. <laughs> Well, Dave, um, I think the biggest takeaway here as I'm thinking about this and, you know, our conversation, it's, it's really to put your equity to work. You know, if you've got equity, exactly. take advantage of the 1031 exchange. It's there. Um, it's been there for decades. Put it to work and use it and, 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 and grow your portfolio faster than you could otherwise. So is there anything that I didn't ask you? I, I think you have another comment that you want to make on that. Do you not? Well, I was just going to say, people get so scared because they've got this lovely gain, this equity. I'm not going to be able to find something to do with it, that they're scared to sell. But the true investor mentality is, I can always find deals, or I'm going to work with professionals who know how to help me find the deals. And if you can get into that kind of mindset, you'll give up your equity right now to grow your portfolio in a heartbeat. Get rid of the fear. Trust yourself as a professional. Trust the professionals you work with, because it's always going to be there for you no matter the market. There were people buying properties in 2008. Trust me, they were just buying them really cheap. Yeah. And they knew what to do. Well, again, like I said before, the whole point of doing the 1031 exchange is really to take that equity and move that equity or call it investment money forward to invest in more property. That's that's really why it's there. So, well, with that, anything else that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you that you think our listeners should know? You know, if there's questions, they can always reach me at the1031investor.com. Well, that's uh, exactly what I was going to end with, but that's perfect. So the1031investor.com, and that's how they can get a hold of you and get more information? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. 
great information. I think uh, people are not aware of what we just talked about. They've heard of a 1031 exchange, but they just don't realize that it's a powerful tool to leverage up and grow and expand what they already have. And I really just wish that more people would know about it because I'm telling you, we would be three times as busy as we are today if people were coming forward knowing that they could do this. Albert Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. The 1031 exchange gives you access to compound interest for your real estate. I love that. That's a quotable right there. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, Dave, I appreciate you coming on the show. So thank you for your time. For everybody listening to here today, download our free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. It's a free download on both our websites, the PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website, where it's the home of our show, also at NoradaRealEstate.com. Get your free strategy session to talk about the options you have with a 1031 exchange and how you can put it to work for you. Uh, we work with Dave. He's a you know great guy. He's done a lot of um, exchanges for clients of ours. So let's let's help build your portfolio. If you have a question about real estate investing, just go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com and click on the Ask Marco button. And I will cover your question on the show. I try to get to all of them, but I get more than I can possibly cover. If you haven't subscribed, remember to subscribe. Help us spread the word. Go to iTunes. Leave us a rating review. As you know, I read every single review. And again, thanks for listening. We will see you on our next episode. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.